Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be to help you become a master of the mental game and to help you start dominating the day. Hey everybody, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast, and today we've got a very special guest. He's one of the best authors in the world, one of my personal favorite authors, the author of the number one best-selling book, The Energy Bus, and other great titles such as The Hard Hat, The Carpenter, Training Camp, The No Complaining Rule, Soup, One Word, The Positive Dog, The Shark and the Goldfish, and The Seed. If you don't know by now, we're talking about John Gordon. John is also one of the top speakers in the world and works with a lot of college athletic programs about developing that right mindset for success. John, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Brian. It's an honor to be with you. I remember a couple years ago being at an event speaking and you were doing a, an event there as well. And I got a chance to, to watch you speak, to do your thing. I think it was a softball conference or something like that, and, and you were awesome. So I really enjoyed watching you and thought you were incredible. So this is an honor to be with you on this. Well, I appreciate it. I remember exactly when that was. It was December of 2009 down in San Diego at the NFCA softball convention. And, you know, I had, I had read the energy bus uh, before that. It was given to me by Ryan Brownlee, who is a baseball coach out at the University of Iowa. And, you know, I read it, in, in, I think, on the plane on the ride home and, and loved it. And it was, uh, I, I was kind of, I remember I was being in the middle of my seminar and see this guy in the back kind of taking notes, not dressed like a softball coach, but dressed more like a speaker. And I went back and I met you and I said, wait a minute, that's, that's, the, that's the energy bus guy. You know, and then since then, it's always, I've been, uh, been a huge fan and been, been following you and your work. And, you know, just this past uh, uh, August, had a chance to work with, with the same team, you know, working with the SMU football team and head coach Chad Morris is doing some of their sports psychology. And you came in and, and really rocked the house. And the guy's still talking about the, the day that they got with you. You know, John, could you, could you give us your background um, you know, in terms of where you grew up and then playing lacrosse at Cornell and kind of all the way to where you got today in, in sitting in the chair that you're in? Sure. I was, um, I was a high school athlete in Long Island, New York. I grew up in uh, Smithtown, New York, a Jewish-Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining, but a, a big emphasis on, on sports and athletics and just loved playing sports. I played football, played lacrosse. Played uh, basketball. I was the point guard for my, my basketball team junior year. Senior year, I said, you know, am I going to play basketball in college? The answer was no. So it was either football or lacrosse. I was recruited for football mostly, but I wanted to get better at lacrosse. And I decided I was going to just practice all winter on lacrosse with a desire to play in college. And then somehow, Richie Moran, the, the Cornell lacrosse coach, the legendary coach at Cornell, he had read about me as a football player. I had a big game one year, uh, and he read about me and wound up calling my coach, asking if I was a lacrosse player too. And the coach said I was. He liked athletes, so he recruited me to Cornell, which was just an incredible uh, honor, experience. I look back, I'm like, how did I end up at Cornell? There's no way I should have been there. So I think it was definitely fate. But that experience as a as a student athlete would definitely change my life and then lead you know, years later to now doing the work that I do, speaking with a lot of sports teams, a lot of businesses, and a lot of professional and college teams. So that experience of being an athlete has always been in the back of my mind, and uh, it's just part of who I am 
as a person. When I started writing, though, it wasn't you know an overnight success. Energy Bus was rejected by over 30 publishers. I had a lot of ups and downs. I had a lot of rejection. I had a lot of failure, but it was really that that grit that I learned in sports of just continuing to work hard, continuing to share the message, continuing to get out there every day and do the work and make a difference that ultimately led me to to being here with you right now. That's awesome. And, and you know, John, your experience as, a, as an athlete at Cornell and playing lacrosse there, one of your more recent books, The Hard, the hard Hat, is a story about a Cornell lacrosse player. Could you talk just a little bit about maybe some of the motivation behind that book? Because it's it's a little bit different than some of the other stories that you've written. It is. This is a true story. So in in 2007, I was I was watching Cornell lacrosse play Duke. It was the semifinals, I believe. And during that game, Cornell was was down by like 10 goals, and they stormed back. I mean, they played with such passion and relentless, fierce determination, like I've never seen before. I was blown away, and I said, okay, what is up with this team? There's something about this team. They would wind up losing that game, but the way they came back just stuck in my mind. So I went to visit the head coach, Jeff Tambroni, and I just asked him, hey, what, what's this all about? And he told me about the hard hat, and he told me about George Boyardi. George Boyardi played for Cornell Lacrosse in, in 2004 as a senior, and he played 11 years after I did. Same position, defensive midfielder. And in 2004, as a senior, he jumped in front of a shot and uh, got hit in the chest and died on the field. He was the most uh, passionate, hardworking, loyal, selfless teammate that I believe ever existed. I mean, the stories that his teammates tell about him were incredible. So I, I had known about George from that time on. I would go to his fundraising dinner that they would have for his foundation uh, in New York City. I went a couple times. I even spoke at it one year. I got a chance to meet his his uh, his parents. And I just felt like I was meant to write about him and tell his story. I wanted to tell his story and share the kind of teammate he was and the impact that he had on his teammates and that program. 11 years later, his his teammates still talk about how they impact their lives to this day. They think about him every day. And they ask themselves, are they being a good person? Are they being a good leader? Are they being like George? They literally live their lives that way. And George would, would come to define the Cornell Cross program. Ever since his death, they have embodied his characteristics and become a powerhouse as a result. So I wanted to tell that story, the impact he had. And then speaking to so many schools and, and sports teams, I wanted to be able to share you know, how you can be a great teammate as well. So I translated George's life and his lessons into 21 ways to be a great teammate that could then help other people be a great teammate as well. And the response to that book has just been incredible. And, and uh, I just felt honored to write it. All the proceeds go to his foundation. It's interesting, Brian, as I was writing that book, I knew I couldn't profit from his life. Like he, he sacrificed his life for his team. He was so selfless. How could I not be selfless? So I decided as I'm writing it, I can't make money from this. And I decided to donate the proceeds to his, his foundation. So it's amazing. Writing that book, this 22-year-old who died in 2004 made me a better teammate and a better person. It's an amazing story, man. And I, 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 I love the selfless act of you doing that to help his foundation and help his 
legacy, live on forever. And, and in the hard hat, it's a true story. And some of your other books, Energy Bus, The Carpenter, you know, Training Camp, th- those other books are, are fictional stories. Could you talk a little bit about kind of your passion for writing those story books and why you chose to go down that path versus maybe writing books that, that were not story-based? Well, my first two books I wrote were more how-to books. And I know you talk about The Energy Addict sometimes, but uh, I don't really talk about those books more because, you know, that's not really what I'm about. I really am about these fables because I realized when I first wrote The Energy Bus that that's a great way to share a message. That's a great way to empower others and to share a story with them that as they read it, it becomes their story. We learn best through parables. But to be honest, it wasn't like my idea. I just had the idea for the story one day. Spiritually, I mean, God gave me this story. I wrote it in three and a half weeks, Brian. I never wrote a fable before, but I just sat down and I just started writing it. It was it was wild. It came out, rejected by all these publishers, finally gets published by John Wiley and Sons. Bookstores won't even carry it. And then after a 28-city tour by me, slowly but surely, this book getting out there. And now, you know, it's had almost uh, about a million copies in, in sales. And I'm not saying that in a bragging way. I'm saying that because it's been an incredible, miraculous journey that I know really is, is beyond me. And every fable I've written, the idea comes to me. I get a vision for the story. I get a, like a framework. And then I sit down and start writing it. And then literally the story starts to write itself. The lessons appear. When I wrote Training Camp, right, I didn't have, you know, the 11 ways to be a great teammate. Those just came to me as I'm writing the story. They unfolded as I wrote it. The energy bus. I didn't have all 10 rules. Those unfolded as I wrote the book. So literally these these ideas just came about as I'm writing. I might have had two or three for each one of these books. The Carpenter was initially about love, right? But then uh, love, serve, and care came to me. And boom, I had the framework for the story with that. And as I'm writing, I'm thinking, well, you also have to be a craftsman instead of a, a carpenter. You have to make your work a work of art, right? It's about being a craftsman, putting your heart and soul and passion into it. And so that came a big part of the book. And then belief came a big part of it about you have to believe in what you're building. You have to design your masterpiece as a craftsman. So that unfolded as I wrote that book as well. So so to me, it's been about a journey of as I sit down and write, the ideas just come. I walk and pray every day. I get back. I get more ideas. And I just start writing the book. And every book I've written takes about a about three and a half weeks to write. So you know I can't take credit because I'm, I'm not that smart. And as people often, when they meet me, they say, hey, do you have a ghostwriter, John? I must not look smart enough to write a book. Uh, <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. But, you know, I, I say, no, I have, I have a holy ghostwriter. That's who writes the books for me. I love it. And, and you got that Ivy League education, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't do, I, I made you to lacrosse, put it that way. I should not have been in Cornell. I love it. I love it. You know, John, the, the, as you're talking about, you know, the 10 rules for the ride of your life and 11 <laughs> ways to be a great teammate, uh, with, you know, with, with training camp or the 21 ways to be a great teammate with a hard hat. It seems like all of your books now have a really, really simple and powerful framework for people to follow. When did you come across that gem to say that you want to write that way? You know, it's, um, people often say to me, you know, it's just, you're, it's amazing how, you know, you're like a genius. You take these complex ideas and you make them so simple. And I say, no, I'm really not smart. I'm just simple. I just think that way. <laughs> That's how I think. My brain doesn't work complicated. It actually works simple. So to be honest, I just write how I 
like to learn and how I do learn. So I'm pretty simple and I keep things simple and that's just how I do it. And one of the most simple ones I think you've ever written and it actually might be the shortest one and maybe the one that I see as I travel around the country, you know, about 280 days a year on the road working in sports psychology, I would say, John, that every single coach's office I go into, no doubt, every school I go into, I see a copy of one of your books. It's unbelievable. And the one that I think I see the most, besides the energy bus, is probably the one word. And I've, I've actually, when I read the one word, used that in my life. My one word focus right now is the word no. I got to learn to say no because every time, every time you say yes to something, right, you're saying something no to something else, which has usually been my family. But where did, where did the genius for the, the, the book One Word come from? And could you talk a little bit about how the listeners to this could apply one word in their life? Sure. Well, one word came from actually not my idea. It came from Dan Britton and Jimmy Page. They've been doing one word for over 17 years together. Every year they would come up with a word, share it with each other, and then do it with their families where each member of their family would come up with their word. Then they would make a painting of their words and put it in the kitchen or the living room as a reminder to live their words for the year. So they told me this a few years ago. I started doing it with my family, loved it started sharing it with businesses and sports teams and saw how powerful it was. Well, they decided they wanted to do a book. And they said, hey, you want to write the forward for it, John? And I, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love to. They said, actually, we, we want you to write the book with us. I said, no, no, I'll just write the forward. They said, no, no, we want you to write it with us. I said, no, it's, it's your idea. You guys go for it. I'll just support it. I'll help get it out there. But they're like, no, no, John, we want you to work with us. They're such great guys. So we decided to work together on it. First time I was, I collaborated with, with uh, other people on, on a book. But there were such amazing guys with no ego. And we all went into it saying, you know, let's just make this book be as simple and as powerful as it can be. And let's just, uh, let's put it together. They edited some of my stuff and took some stuff out. I took some of their stuff out. And we just really made a, a book that was so simple, but a great idea of just living that year with a word that drives you to be your best. If you, There's a word that's meant for you. And if you're open to it, it will find you. And when it does, you're like, all right, that's my word. Like your word is no. My word is rise this year. I want to rise to a new level of health and, and well-being. I'm not feeling well right now, as you can tell from the voice. So, but all year I was so healthy. I was so strong. And only now that I get sick. It's crazy. But, but I've, I've been strong with that, that word making all the difference. And uh, other years it was serve. Uh, another year it was, it was pray. Another year it was purpose. Another year it was surrender. So you remember your words and they mold you and shape you to be who you're meant to be. And do you set that word for one year, and, or does it change on a, on a quarterly or kind of a half-year basis? When does your word change, John? Every year. You, you pick that word for the year. So a great time to do it as we're approaching New Year's, December. Pick your word. You'll know what it is. You'll give it time. Sometimes my word doesn't come until, until New Year's Eve. But when it comes, you're like, all right, that's my word for the year. And you live that word for the year. The whole year. Now, if it doesn't go well or you don't do well with it, like if it's a commitment and you're not really as committed as you need to be, it's not like at the end of the year you say, okay, I got to do it again. No, you then pick a new word for the next year. It's not about failing. It's about becoming. It's not about you know succeeding with your word. It's about being molded and shaped into who you're meant to be that year. So every year, a new word will come to you based on what's meant for you this year what you need to focus on, or perhaps what is in the way. And in that book, we just take you through a three-step simple process 
on finding and living your word for the year. And again, every year, just pick a new word. It's not about failing. It's becoming. I love that. Love that. You know, and, and let's, let's, you know, t- take that concept that you just shared that it's not about failing, it's becoming. And, you know, let's tie that back to the SMU football program. You know, right now, as, as, as we're doing this call, they're sitting at, at, uh, one and nine with two games left to go. But that's not a one and nine, that's not a one and nine culture. It's not a one and nine football team and staff. They're much better than that. They just haven't seen the fruits of their labor yet, which they're going to turn the corner here soon, I believe. And when you came in to talk with them, as I, as I know you speak with countless numbers of, of football teams and athletic programs around the country, you had them talk about a one word focus and one person in their life. Could you talk a little bit about that, those two concepts and why they're so critical for athletic teams? Sure. Well, first off, I mean, you've done incredible work with them, and I know that you've had an amazing impact. And, and I know that their culture is so strong, and a, and a lot of it is, is uh, things you've helped them with. Chad Morris doing an incredible job. Yeah, it's a great example of, you know what, your win-loss record does not define you. In this world, we think it does, but you watch this culture, this team is going to get stronger and stronger, and next year, they're going to be much better. They've been in almost every game they've played, mm-hmm. and you just see in the second half, how they seem to not be able to, to withstand the other team. And what, what happens, I think, is they, are, they have so little depth because of uh, you know, years of, of, of struggle they've had in the past that now with all these new recruits coming in, with the culture, you watch next year, they're going to be better. The year after that, they're going to be even better. So I think by year three, year four, they stay with it. They're going to be a powerhouse program with the recruits that they're getting, and they're just going to need more depth. That's all. Because first half, they're with every team they play. Am I right? Yeah, no doubt. They've been they've been in every game, you know, even late, except for the Navy game. Right. So they're they're battling, they're fighting. Again, the the win loss record doesn't always show the effort or the culture. But if you stick to the culture, eventually you will see the fruit of your labor and and definitely of your of your effort. No doubt about it. Uh, sorry about that. What was the question, Brian? Yeah, sure, sure. No, it's good, it's it's good stuff. The, uh, so when you came and spoke to them, there were two activities that you had them do around their one word and around their, uh, their one person. And, you know, they had coach Morris puts up an easel. I don't know if you knew this, but he puts up an easel in the locker room before every game that has a poster of the, of the SMU pony. And one of the ponies has all their one words in it. And the other pony has all of their one picture of their person in there. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but that that's something that they talk about every day, and, and the seniors get up and talk about their one person, you know, on Friday night before they play, and it's been a really, really powerful experience that they've been able to build off of off of just that one day of you being in there and talking to them for for that that day. Um, yeah, what, what you know, what's your word? What's going to drive you to be your best? To focus on your word for that game, and then and then who are you playing for? You know, playing for a bigger purpose, knowing that you're playing for others beside yourself. And that one person is is your driving force to want to play for that person, to be your best for that person. So it's not just about you. It's about we. It's about us. And it's about our family. It's awesome. I love it. John, if we could, I'd like to kind of kind – of maybe shift away from some of the books and shift really into you and what what do you think makes you so successful what what are the is there any routines or things that are a part of your life you mentioned walking and praying every day are there any routines that you hold that you feel like are a critical part of the success that you've had i think the one of the most important things i've done over the years is to take a walk of gratitude you know while i'm walking i just say what i'm thankful for and i've done this now for about 13 years 
And it's been a powerful exercise to to really just focus on what I'm thankful for in my life, to appreciate uh, my life, and to uh, feel blessed instead of stressed. Because the research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So I think that's been really important. I also um, believe what's made me successful is that I, that I do first things first. You know, I focus on priorities. My wife says when I'm ready to do something, I have a, a really incredible Zoom focus, and I just get it done, and then I'll do other things. Distractions are the enemy of greatness, and I find the more I allow distractions to get to me, I'm not as productive, and I don't do what's meaningful. C.S. Lewis said when you do first things first, second things, actually, they don't decrease, they expand. And so when you do first things first, the other things grow in your life. So it's about focusing on your priorities. And I think that's a big part of it. And then finally, I mean, I can't escape without saying my faith. I really believe my faith is who I are, who I am. Who I am. It's made me uh, who I am today. And it continues to help me become who I am and to grow as a person, to want to make a difference in the lives of others. Uh, my faith is about loving other people, not judging others. My faith is about living with optimism, belief for the future. It's about bringing, the be- bringing out the best in others. My faith is about not focusing on where I am, but focusing on where I'm, I'm going. And it's about making sure that I become all that I'm meant to be to help others become all that they're meant to be. And, and that, that faith that you hold, John, is that something that you got into when you were really young, or is, there, is that something that you caught on to after college? When did all that begin? Yeah, that was later on in life. That was after um, that was after huge struggling and being negative and miserable in my late twenties, early thirties. And my wife came up to me and she's like, "You know, I love you, but you know, you're always so miserable. You're unhappy. You're, you're always making me miserable." She's like, "I, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who's making me so miserable." Mm. So that was a huge wake up call. And I remember just saying, "All right, God, why am I so miserable? Why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason." And that began the you know, the, the spiritual journey that I've, I've been on and writing and speaking came to me during that time. And it continues to influence everything that I do to this day. Um, but it was a huge wake up call for me and, uh, a lot of struggle and a lot of adversity, but I look back and I see how that faith, uh, carried me. John, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are going to be college coaches that are on the road a ton recruiting away from home, away from their families, which I'd imagine you're on the road probably close to, to as many days a year as you want to be. Uh, what's, your, what's your road schedule like, and how do you keep yourself and your health sharp and keep your, your relationship with your family sharp while you're traveling so much? So I don't travel as much as you. Thank God. But uh, I do travel quite a bit. I travel a lot. And and it makes it hard. It's difficult. You know, the coaches recruiting and being on the road a lot, is it's really difficult. But for me, I keep it simple. And I read on the planes. I'll do social media when I'm on the road. I keep in touch with my family via uh, FaceTime. I love that application. It's, it's awesome. So we do a lot of FaceTiming with my wife and with my daughter and my son. My son's actually at IMG. My son's at a tennis academy there, so I'm always uh, FaceTiming with him anyway. And um, it's about when I come home to make sure that I'm engaged with the family when I, when I come home to make time for them and, and with them. When I'm on the road, it's, uh, it's about doing the work I'm, I'm meant to do on the road. I believe if you're wishing you're at home when you're on the road and when you're at home you're feeling guilty you're not on the road, that's a double dose of, of guilt, which 
equals a double dose of misery. So for me, it's about being engaged where you are, knowing that you're living with, with passion and purpose. Uh, for me, it's about making sure I get enough sleep. I don't drink, so uh, that makes it easy to stay healthy on the road. Um, I've stayed healthy all year until, again, this point. I had my last trip, got home from Chicago, and then, bam, I got sick. So other than that, I've stayed healthy and strong by, again, eating healthy. Um, I don't eat a lot of airport food. Um, I have a lot of food allergies, so that makes it hard to do so. Drink a lot of water. I exercise on the road as much as I can. Do a lot of push-ups, crunches, sit-ups, walking or running when I can. That's important. And um, making sure that I do a lot of uh, uh, vitamin C and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, great uh, vitamin B and some great supplements. Awesome, John. Which which book do you gift the most? Uh, other than any of your own, to other people that that are friends of yours or people that you want to that you want to you know give give a, a gift of a book to something that you've read that has had a positive impact in your life. What's the book that you gift the most? Right, right. No, I only give my books, Brian. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I love Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. The Circle Maker, man, that's an awesome book. So I'll give that book out. And then the new one that I'm gifting is. Uh, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Soul Keeping. And it is so powerful. It is amazing. And the word psyche actually means soul. The psyche means soul. So the original study of psychology was actually meant to be about the soul, not about our behavior. It's meant to be about the soul. So that book is incredible. A person who has a healthy soul will perform at a higher level and be all that they're meant to be. We deal with athletes and I give a talk on the four stages of greatness and every person, every soul is, is on a journey and every soul has wounds in it. And if you know an athlete who has wounds, those wounds play out in their lives. An athlete needs to heal their soul and their wound to be their best. And I believe that's a big part of coaching is to help your players heal to be all that they're meant to be because everyone comes to your program and to your, to your school with challenges and issues. And I believe the future of coaching is healing. So the soul keeping is a great read for coaches to understand the soul, how it works, and how it needs to be nurtured, and what the soul needs. The circle maker, author of that is? Uh, it's uh, Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson. And yep. soul keeping author is? John Ortberg. Thank you. Um, fabulous. The, you know, a lot of your, your books are, are all about growth. Who are the people that you really follow? You know, like I follow you. Who are the people that you follow to help you to continue to grow and sharpen your axe? You know, Ken Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager, has always been someone who has inspired me. Erwin McManus, who is a, a pastor out of L.A., a church called Mosaic. It's a very hip uh, church in L.A. It's all with athletes and artists and, and actors in it, and it's a, it's a very modern kind of uh, church. It's all about faith and love and, and hope. And Erwin is one of the best speakers on the planet. He has had a huge impact on my life. Erwin McManus. Everyone should should listen to some of his talks. He is the most powerful speaker I've ever heard. Wow. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for all that. Man, last question. If you could remove the skull cap of everybody listening to this podcast, coach, athlete, parent, athletic director, corporate warrior, if you could remove their skull cap and plant one seed 
and maybe it's maybe it's your book, the seed. <laughs> but if you could plant that one seed in their mind that would would take over, germinate, and grow, what would that one seed be? So many, but what just came to me is that you don't get burned out because of what you do. You get burned out because you forget why you do it. So as a coach, as a leader, as an athlete, remember your why. Like why are you playing? Why do you do what you do? We don't create our world from the outside in. Circumstances do not define you. We always create our world from the inside out. And that inside is your purpose. It's your passion. It's who you are and why you do what you do. And when you live from that purpose, from that core, right? That's the ultimate core. It's not your, your ab muscles. It's, it's your purpose and spirit and why. And when you live from that, you'll be a more powerful coach. You'll be a difference maker. And you'll be a legacy lever that will leave a legacy in the lives of others. The ultimate core. It's not your abs. It's your reason why. Love that. Yeah, that just came to me. I never said that. Uh, it's genius, man. I love it. What's, if you would, John, what's your reason why, man? Why do you do what you do? Oh, it's to inspire, empower, and encourage as many people as possible, one person at a time. I know that my purpose is to help other people live theirs. And um, I know that positivity and helping people be more positive and overcome the negative is my life's calling. So I don't know why. I just know that that's what I'm here to do. And um, my job is just to live that purpose every day. Awesome. John, man, unbelievable. I think I've taken more notes in this podcast probably than any other one I've ever done. And I take a lot of notes. Really, really good stuff, man. I appreciate you. For our, for our listeners, for them to, to follow you, to pick up all of your great books, uh, is there a handle on Twitter that they can follow and then a website that they can go to? Sure. John Gordon 11 is the Twitter address. Uh, J-O-N Gordon 11. And um, website is johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com, and tons of um, resources on, online and on Twitter. Awesome. And for the listeners, make sure you go to johngordon.com and sign up for John's, John's <coughs> newsletter that comes out, uh, I believe it comes out every Monday, correct? Every Monday I write a weekly positive tip. Been doing it since 2002 now, every week writing a, a positive tip. You know, again, initially started just to share information uh, my mother, my brother, my best friend from college got it initially. Uh, they were getting getting it whether they liked it or not, and uh, have just really written, you know just stayed the course and, and done it every every week uh, over years. It's been it's been a, it's been a great journey. The best thing I've ever done, to be honest, is that newsletter. Wow! Why would you say that's the best thing you've ever done? Because it was from there that I started writing it and started sharing it, where people started to follow me. because so, this was before blogs. People started to share that newsletter with others. Then I'd get calls when I was just beginning as a speaker, and people would bring me in to speak from the newsletter that they, they read. And coaches started reading it, started sharing it. Business people started reading it. School districts started sharing it. So here I was just writing it to write it to share. But then it led me to do all this great stuff. But initially, the desire was just to share positive impact. And so it was never, I've never done advertising with it. I've never sold advertising. It was always about just providing value. And I look back and it was just the best thing I've ever done because it's like that value has come back tenfold. So people always call me and say, hey, I want to build my business. I want to be a writer. I want to be a speaker. And I'm like, all right, well, provide value. You know, everyone wants to be a big time name. No, start by providing value where you are. Make a difference. And that newsletter for me has been that. And I've always written it. No one else ever writes it. And I do it every week. And again, it has to be 
uh, part of your why, right? Who you are. And I think that's, uh, you know, you asked earlier a big reason for my success. That would be one of the reasons. Best thing I've ever done and still love doing it. Awesome. awesome. Provide value where you are. That was, you know, I was going to ask for the advice for the young, aspiring, uh, you know, authors and speakers that are out there. Your, your advice, you said provide value where you are. Anything, any other advice that you'd give to, you know, John Gordon when he was 30 years old trying to, to crack in and be a best-selling author and speaker who could have a sure. positive impact on others? Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so I did a free webinar, and people can go online and just Google everything I know about getting published, John Gordon. Everything I know about getting published, John Gordon. I did a one-hour free webinar. Anyone could listen to it. And it's about everything I know, and it's advice for writers and speakers because I get asked to lunch or dinner about a couple times a week. You know, Hey, I just want to pick your brain about writing and speaking, and I obviously can't do that. So I said, let me do this for all the people who who want to pick my brain and they'll have it right there because it's everything I would tell them if we went to dinner or had lunch. And the key is to provide value where you are and it's what I wrote in The Carpenter, to love, serve, and care. If you focus on loving what you do, you're there to serve people and you care and you care more. You care about your work, you care about your customers, you care about the your, co- your players, you care about the people that you want to impact and you do those three things your business will exponentially grow. Not all at once, but over time, right? So just do great work. Just make a difference where you are. I spoke to audiences of five people, 10 people, 20 people, 30 people for years, right? I mean, I went on this book tour. There were five people in one city, 10 people in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa, because they thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. (laughs) And, and, And I'm not kidding. That's true. And so... I've been on that journey, and um, but it, it made me who I am because it became about just making a difference. I remember telling myself, just impact the people in this room, and that's all you can do. And I see that with you, Brian. I remember you started years ago, right, and doing these workshops. Now you're doing these big events, and now you're, you're having a, a global impact. You're reaching more and more people, and you see people's path, and you can see how that grows. Start by serving where you are, right? When you serve in small ways, you get more opportunities to serve in bigger ways. That's from the seed. Got it. When you serve in small ways, you get more opportunities to serve in bigger ways. Right. You don't, you don't focus on the harvest. You just plant yourself every day like a seed where you are. The seed surrenders to the ground so it can grow to be all that it's meant to be. You just plant yourself where you are, decide to serve and make a difference. And when you do that, you will grow into the leader that you're meant to be. Your job is just to plant yourself every day. Too many people want success now. They want to be an overnight success. That's why in The Carpenter I wrote about being a craftsman and about 10 years that it takes to become an overnight success. Just do the work every day, show up, get better, improve, put your heart and soul into it. And over time, people will want to work with you. Awesome. John, I could sit here and interview you all day, my friend. I know you're busy and have, have a lot of things to go. So I really, really appreciate you taking time. Love to get you back on here, you know, the next when you when you come out with another book and maybe even uh, just have you have that become part of a routine where you, you talk about the next book that's coming out because I know, you know, with our with our listeners, they're gonna be a big fan of, of yours and go out and, and invest in the John Gordon Library and pick up all of your books uh, because they make such a positive impact on the on the leaders that are listening to this podcast. Well, thanks, Brian. It was an honor to be with you and uh, think the world of you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. 
Today's podcast is sponsored by Potential Apparel. Potential Apparel is on a mission to inspire athletes to reach their true potential. If you're serious about reaching yours, then you have to go check them out. They make awesome clothing for dedicated and committed athletes. I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing, and that's why I wear their clothing with pride. Make a statement and join the movement today at PotentialApparel.com. Be sure you use promo code Brian Kane with a space between Brian and Kane for 15% off on your first order. Dominate the day with Potential Apparel. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit BrianKane.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com and sign up for my Monday message where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network.